Thank you very much, and good morning, everyone. This is Preacher Bill Gilliland at First Christian Church right here in Covington, and thankful uh, that we are able to bring you the Word of God this morning. Of course, in the face of uh, the snowstorm that's not only uh, affecting our area, but much of the East Coast, it's, uh, things are very unpredictable as far as who can be in church and who cannot, so it's very possible that we have a whole lot more listeners uh, by way of radio this morning than uh, we normally do, and that's a real blessing that we can uh, reach out to you uh, this morning. We have been into a series, this being the fourth week of the series, uh, entitled Collide, Collide. Uh, Christians and the Lord's Church are on a collision course with the world. And uh, it's, it's very important for us to realize that this is not uh, our fault, that we disagree with the patterns of the world, but we are commanded in Scripture to stand firm. And in this series where we realize we're pointing out uh, clearly that we're battling in a spiritual war. It's, it's a war between right and wrong, between good and evil, between truth and sin. And God's faithful have been in this war for a long, long time. The church has been in this war since Christ built his church, founded his church uh, here in this world. So in the first week of the series, we uh, keyed in on the idea that we need to stand firm. Stand firm on the Lord and on the Word of God like uh, true soldiers. You know, the values of the world clash with the values of God's people. They are a different set of values and standards. And in Colossians 2.8, the Apostle Paul highlighted a verse there where he said, See to it that no one takes you captive with these worldly philosophies and the elemental factors of the world. And it's true. Uh, so many of God's people have been uh, prisoners of war, captured by uh, the devil and the evil of the world. So we need to stand firm. We need to take our stand, as one scripture after another we pointed out uh, commands us to do. In the second week, we considered the idea that we need to be transformed we need to be uh, constantly changing into the image of Jesus Christ, our commander-in-chief, the one who leads us in, in this uh, battle against sin and evil and Satan and the devil. We, uh, in Romans 12 and verse 2, the apostle Paul urged those Christians, don't be conformed to the world's patterns but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you can prove what God's good, acceptable, and perfect will is. This is so important because we are constantly challenged by the world to enter into its patterns and its molds. And it's so easy for us to get into the rut that the world has dug deep and, and to be caught in those ruts, those patterns, those worldly standards. And, and every time we do that, we, we leave God's pattern, God's will. Last week, we went to Ephesians chapter 6, and we considered the subject armor up. Because in Ephesians 6, 
the Apostle Paul identifies that uh, we're not in a, a battle with flesh and blood. We're, we're in a battle with, with other spiritual beings, evil spiritual beings, with Satan, the devil. Uh, and uh, we need to be aware of his schemes. And we need, as Paul says in Ephesians 6, to put on the full armor of God so that we can withstand in the evil day, the day of evil. And then he lists, um, he lists the, the objects of uh, this armor, this spiritual armor, which he compares to the armor that the Roman soldier in the first century day wore uh, in battle. And he says we need the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness. Uh, we need to have our shoes fit with the readiness of the gospel of peace. We need the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. Uh, and, you know, this is so very important that we, that we be um, clothed with what is going to protect us and give us the advantage over the devil and his schemes, his methods. Have you ever wondered why the belt of truth is listed first? You know, we went over that armor as, as much as we could last week, very briefly. But have you ever wondered uh, why the belt of truth is, is listed first? Uh, in, in that series, um, and, and I, I am convinced that the belt of truth is listed first. Of course, we identified the belt of truth uh, as as uh, that which holds all the other armor pieces in place. And uh, so he lists the belt of truth because, dear friends, it is the truth that God has given us uh, that affects and gives effectiveness to all the other pieces of armor. In other words, uh, the, we, we won't have the true breastplate of righteousness unless we get our righteousness through the truth. Uh, you know, we're not righteous. We're all evil, and only the righteousness that Christ can give us because of his death on the cross is going to be tough enough, strong enough, to prevent us from being wounded in this battle against sin. And, and the shoes of the gospel of peace, uh, those shoes are identified through the word of God, the truth, the shield of faith. You know, it's not just any kind of faith that's going to protect us and help us to extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. It's, it's the faith that's listed in the word of God. It's the faith that was implemented by all those Old Testament heroes uh, that God used in the Old Testament. Uh, it's the kind of faith that's exemplified in Hebrews chapter 11. So you see the helmet of salvation, for example. Once again, uh, it's, not, it's not just any application of salvation. It's the salvation uh, that, that only comes through Jesus, our Savior, who is the truth, the way, the truth, and the life. So you see, this belt of truth is so important because it gives standard to all of the other pieces of armor. 
Um, you know, there is in our day a greater collision between worldly love and gospel truth than we have ever known in the last generations. And I'd like for us to consider a couple of scriptures where uh, scripture brings all of this to light. And, and one of those scriptures is over in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 to 11. Uh, and it is here that the Apostle Paul talks about uh, the coming of the lawless one. And uh, we don't know who that is, and we don't know when that will be, but he, he does give some identification about this lawless one. It's in chapter 2 of 2 Thessalonians, and, and we're going to go to verses 9 through 11. And Paul says there, beginning in verse 9, the coming of the lawless one will be in accordance with how Satan works. He will use all sorts of displays of power through signs and wonders that serve the lie and all the ways that wickedness deceives those who are perishing. They perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. For this reason, God sends them uh, a powerful delusion so that they will believe the lie and so that all will be condemned who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. So let me highlight and underscore, you, you may not have had the time to look over there in Second Thessalonians chapter 2, but he talks about those who perish because they refused to love the truth and so be saved. So this morning we're talking about truth and love and the delightful co uh, combination of truth and love that will make us more effective as Christ. He says that those who are going to be condemned are those who have not believed the truth but have delighted in wickedness. And that word delight is also translated rejoiced in some places. In other words, they have a deep and abiding love for wickedness. And you, that word delight is also used over in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 and verse 6 in the love chapter, where agape love, godly love, is, uh, is identified. And in verse 6, the Apostle Paul says in his brief definitions of love, he says, love does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. And right there is where we see this dividing line, the line in the sand, if you will. Uh, love, true love, does not delight or rejoice in evil, in, in the world, in, in Satan, in the things of the devil. It rejoices, true love rejoices with the truth. So let's consider uh, a couple of ideas here with the time we have remaining. And, and first of all, I just want to say, and, and we need to identify the fact that there is a standard of truth. There is an absolute uh, of right and wrong. There is a straight edge that we need to measure everything that we do say uh, and live by. Uh, that's the truth. Uh, and last week, uh, we went to John chapter 18, where Jesus was on trial before Pontius Pilate, before 
he was executed on the cross. And the Pilate is trying to, to find out more information about Jesus, and he asked Jesus if he's a king. And in verse 37 of John 18, Jesus said, You say that I'm a king. In fact, the reason I was born and came into the world is to testify to the truth. Everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. Now, we also remember that in John 14, Jesus had said, I am the truth. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by me. Uh, did you notice there in John 18, verse 37, when Jesus is talking to Pilate, uh, who asked him about being a king, and, and Jesus in that same conversation said, my kingdom is not of this world. If, if my kingdom were of this world, my disciples would be fighting, my friends would be fighting to protect me. Uh, he, he went on to say, you know, my kingdom is other world. It's not of this world. Uh, but he also said there in verse 37, everyone on the side of the truth listens to me. You, you, do you see the, the idea there of the collision between good and evil? Even in Jesus' words here, uh, the side of the truth. And, you know, I have to constantly uh, look at my life and, and my allegiance and, and, and my loves, and I need to ask myself, am, am I on the side of the truth? Can I say beyond a shadow of a doubt that I'm on the side of the truth? I'd like to read to you also from John 17 where Jesus prayed. We call it the prayer of unity that Jesus prayed before his crucifixion. And in verses 14 through 17, he talks about his ministry here on earth and what he has tried to accomplish. And he says concerning his disciples in verse 14, I have given them your word. The world has hated them for they're not of the world any more than I am of the world. My prayer is not that you take them out of the world, but that you protect them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of it. Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. And that's his prayer to the Heavenly Father. I want these, I want these loved ones of mine to be protected from the devil because I know they're going to have to stay in this world. It's an evil world. And then he says, set them apart, sanctify them with the truth. Your word is truth. Such a powerful statement. Oh, there is a standard of truth, a standard for right and wrong. There is a straight edge, an absolute, if you will, for us to always follow, and that's the word of God. In 2 Timothy 2.15, the Apostle Paul wrote to the young preacher Timothy, and he said, Do your best to present yourself as one approved, a worker who does not need to be ashamed and who correctly handles the word of truth. So there is a standard. But the second thing I'd like to point out is that we live in a society who loves darkness uh, more than light. Uh, we do. Do, do you realize that more than 58% of Americans reject the idea of absolute truth? 
In other words, uh, there are more Americans who reject the standard, the straight edge, that, that we, don't, we don't have anything to measure ourselves and others by. Uh, they reject the idea of a absolute truth. Jesus said in John 3, when he was talking to Nicodemus, in verses 19 and 20, he said uh, to, to Nicodemus, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. That's, that's a great scripture, and I love how he comes down to the conclusion, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. But you see, we live in a world that loves darkness instead of light because they're not living right. Their deeds are evil. Um, we need to be a people who live in the light and that who lives by the truth, God's standard. The, the, one of the great preachers of, of, of our day who is now going on to glory was Adrian Rogers. And uh, Adrian Rogers uh, said, the greatest problem in America today is truth decay. Everything that matters is unraveling before us, and if anyone stands for the truth, he looks like he's bigoted. We're all supposed to get along, but I want to tell you, it's better to be divided by the truth than to be united in error. Well, that's a great statement, dear friends. Uh, we do live in a time when everything is unraveling. Um, and it is true that when God's people take a stand for the truth, uh, the world cries out and said that, says that we're bigoted because most of our nation rejects the idea of a united straight edge, a, an absolute truth by which we need to measure ourselves and others. So we become bigots in their eyes. Everybody's just supposed to get along. You have your truth. Uh, I have my truth. But you see, uh, the problem... The problem with that is that if if our truths conflict, one of us is wrong. One of us is in error. And how do we find out which one that is without a straight edge, without an absolute? Now, in 1 Timothy 3.15, the Apostle Paul wrote, and he talked to this young preacher about how he was to conduct himself in the church of the living God, which he says is the pillar and foundation of the truth. One of our duties, one of our callings as members of the Lord's kingdom and the Lord's church is to make sure that, that our local churches remain the pillar and the foundation of truth. And what Paul is suggesting there is that if the church isn't the pillar and the foundation of truth, there can't be one. Because only the Lord, our God, knows what real truth is. 
Only Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You see, and I need to move on very quickly here, but rejection of the idea of an absolute standard of truth leaves us with the sad situations that we're facing today in almost every major institution. Um, take, for example, our, our government. You see, our nation's constitution uses more biblical standards and precepts than um, most of our judges and lawmakers and, and leaders would ever like to admit they, they would like to think that um, our Constitution doesn't contain biblical truth. The, the fact is that the Scripture was quoted by our forefathers and the founders of our nation and, and, and the writers of our documents than, than any other uh, book. So that's why our government is teeter-tottering today because our, our people don't want to face the fact that it's built on the truth of God's word. Look at our educational system. Schools and universities who still have scriptures on, on their cement walks and their stone walls that's been there for generations, but they pay no attention to those scriptures because they think they have a better way. At families, the, same, the institution of the family is the same thing. The family system is in disarray. More domestic and child abuse uh, than ever before. All-time high. Divorce, um, sexual uh, misconduct. Uh, but why? Be because we don't recognize the straight edge. We don't demand that family be guided by the absolute of God's word. And then we need to also consider our individual morals and ethics and ask ourselves, am I going to God's word, the straight edge, or, or am I trying to bend the straight edge to fit the lifestyle that I desire? Um, we've already considered Paul's words in 1 John chapter 2, don't love the world or anything in the world. And, but, but we do, and that reinforces Jesus' statement that he, truth had come into the world, light had come into the world, and, and the world loved darkness more than light. Well, I'd just like to summarize with one more thought here as we consider this idea of truth and love as we engage dear friends in our battle with the world we're we're commanded to use love and to speak the truth in love and paul said that in ephesians 4:15 he said speaking the truth in love we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head that is christ and you know, uh, another great preacher and and writer uh, Warren Wearsby years ago made the statement that truth without love is brutality and love without truth is hypocrisy 
But truth in love is essential. And my friends, we are in a war, but we need to conduct ourselves in this battle that we face against the devil and the spiritual forces of evil. We need to do that with the same composure and the same attitude, the same grace as the Lord Jesus Christ did, and he did all things in love. Uh, and love doesn't give in. Love doesn't change its mind. But love also expresses itself in grace and mercy and peace. Uh, love is essential. So truth without love is brutality. Love without truth is hypocrisy. Truth and love is essential. We need to speak the truth, but we need to do it in love. Thank you so much for joining us today. Our time has run out, and uh, I just appreciate uh, all of you who have listened uh, to each one of these uh, messages in this series. Uh, be strong. Uh, be patient. Uh, continue to reach out and love the world. But don't follow the world. Uh, follow the straight edge, the absolute, the word of God. It is a light for the paths that we walk. Uh, let's pray together, shall we? Thank you, Heavenly Father, for our time together today. Uh, help us to realize, Heavenly Father, that truth and love are both so essential. As we conduct ourselves as soldiers of the cross, help us to speak the truth. Help us to stand firm on the truth. Uh, I pray your Holy Spirit will just uh, guide us and empower us uh, to be the people that you want us to be. Bless those who are listening today that need Jesus. We just pray they'll turn to him and give themselves to him so that he can begin to guide them and make them strong in grace and truth and love. We pray these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen.